Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. series that we've started on the Messiah, and what we're trying to do uh, at this time of Christmas is we really want to pull uh, everything together uh, throughout the scriptures that that shows and points to uh, Jesus coming as the Messiah. And so many of you may not know this, but Christ is not Jesus' last name. Uh, Christ is a title, and it means Messiah. And so we, we want to look at the scriptures as a whole, from Genesis to Revelation, it's telling one story, and that story is pointing and culminating uh, in this moment where we celebrate at Christmas. Uh, and it's this time of year that we, we begin to see the fulfillment of so many prophecies and so much anticipation uh, as the world has waited for this Messiah, this Savior. So we're going to pick up in a, uh, in a familiar passage. It's Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 8. And you can turn there. We should have it on the screen uh, as well. So it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the sayings which were told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you sent your son here, that you loved us so much, not to condemn us, but to save us. Lord, we ask that you come. Holy Spirit, would you come? Jesus, we declare you are in charge. Would you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what it is that you have for us today? And it's in your name. Amen. So I want to look at this piece of the story, and I want to look at it through eyes that maybe we haven't looked at this uh, before, because I, I want us to understand the significance of what's taking place here. And so you may have heard this many times. I've heard it many times. You may be familiar with this. Uh, it may be 
reminding you of Charlie Brown's Christmas. It, it may just bring all of those memories back, but there's something in here that, that I've never really thought of until recently that I, I, I've been learning about, and it's just it's incredible to see how much the scriptures have been pointing to this moment. And so the question that we have to, to ask ourselves today as we're, as we're going through this text, as, as we put ourselves in this story, is, is what was actually being said to the shepherds. I mean, so the shepherds are there, they're in Bethlehem, uh, they're, they're doing their shepherding duties, they're, they're just going along their day, and then all of a sudden, this giant angel appears to them in the night and delivers to them this incredible message that was followed by heavenly hosts just lighting up the scene, beginning to sing out and declare everything that's going on. And it so impacted them, and they, they marveled so much that they, they went away from, from the manger where uh, they saw Jesus, and they began to proclaim all of the things that the Lord told them. But if you read the text, it actually sounds uh, a little bit anticlimactic. I mean, it's basically what it says is like, this will be a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Which is strange, to be honest with you, because the question we have to ask ourselves is like, what's the big deal with this? this is, why is this a sign? Why, why was this a sign to these shepherds uh, that the Messiah had come? And this is the question we should be asking ourselves. And when we wrestle with t- the text like this, uh, it's, it's important to know that, that disciples ask questions. And, and when the disciples read the text, like we're reading the text today, we're to ask questions and begin to question what is happening here in, in the text. It's interesting, even the, the people, the name that God gave his people uh, involved wrestling with God. God is looking for us to wrestle with him through these hard times, through the text, through our lives. We're, we're to question what's going on. That's, he invites that, he welcomes our questioning, we serve a God who is bigger than our questions. And so we, we bring this question today, we say, well, what's the big deal with this sign of you'll find this babe in swaddling clothes lying in a manger? Essentially, it would be the same thing as today if they were said, you will find this baby that's swaddled lying in a crib. It's like, what's the big deal? Everyone was swaddled and all of that. So, so what's, what's the key? Well, we have to understand exactly who these shepherds were. Uh, around Jerusalem, there was uh, many, many shepherds, and their primary duties were to raise and to tend to the livestock that would be used in the sacrificial processes in the temple. And so Bethlehem is a suburb of Jerusalem, and so these shepherds were actually Levitical shepherds. They were priestly shepherds that were set in place in order to manage the, the sacrifices that were taking place in the temple. I mean, if you think about it, you're thinking like there's, there's sacrifices many times a day, all throughout the day, and those sacrifices require not just any animals, but those that were raised a particular way under, under the commands that, that God had given his people. And so this was a big operation. And there was, there was a tremendous amount of work involved. And so a lot of times we just think of priests in the, in the scriptures and we think of a couple of them that are posted in the temple, but there was so much involved in what was necessary for them to carry out their duties. And, and one of the large responsibilities uh, were to raise and tend to the animals that were required for the sacrifices being done day and night in the temple. And so these weren't just shepherds, they were Levitical shepherds. They were priestly shepherds. 
They were shepherds that were, were sent to, to primarily raise these lambs. And in, in Bethlehem, we know from history that, that primarily the lambs that were raised in Bethlehem weren't just lambs that were being raised for the everyday sacrifices, but for some reason they deemed that Bethlehem would be the place that they raised the lambs that were slain for Passover. And so these priests, more than likely, were, were primarily doing the duties of raising up lambs to be the Passover sacrifice. And oftentimes in, in Bethlehem, when we, when we picture uh, the scene that, that we, we typically have, and you may have a manger uh, nativity set that you've looked at, we picture some sort of a wooden barn and all of that. And that's really not the, the way that it happened at this point in time. There's not a tremendous amount of wood just lying around this area. It's sort of a barren desert land. And, and, and more than likely what happened is these shepherds would make their, uh, their mangers, make their barns in these caves in the side of the cliffs in the mountains that surround the area. And so we need to begin to think like disciples and begin to think about the context of which this text is, is being written. And so they would, they would raise these lambs within these caves that were dug out uh, in the mountains surrounding it. And because they were Passover lambs, there was a tremendous amount of work and effort and instruction that went into them making sure that the place in which the lambs would be born would be ritually clean. And so this is more than likely the place where Jesus was born, was in this cave uh, that was being used primarily to raise the sacrifice Passover lambs. And so we just have to begin to think about, uh, about what is actually happening in the text as opposed to what we're just used to hearing. And so when we're, when we're looking at this question of what's the big deal with what's going on here, we have to frame it with who the angels are actually talking to. And the shepherds would then uh, take the lamb, and remember, the lambs had to be born, and, and they, had to, they had to be sacrificed without spot or blemish. And so often what they would do, because it's, remember, in a cave, and, and these lambs, when they're, when they're born, what they would do is they would swaddle the lambs for the first few hours, because when lambs are first born, they're pretty clumsy, and the chance of them falling and, and actually hurting themselves or scuffing their face or something like that is pretty high, and, and so if that happened, then all of that effort and all of that work would be for naught. And so one of the things that they typically did was they would swaddle the lambs as soon as the lambs were born in order to keep them from getting a spot or blemish. So it's with this context that we find ourselves in the story. Because these shepherds apparently were going to see something in this moment that was assigned to them. God had been planning this for a long time. And so because of that, he knew who he was appearing to. It wasn't a random chance. It didn't just so happen to be a group of shepherds just hanging out. These particular shepherds, were at the certain place at the certain time so that when they saw Jesus born in a manger, it would be a sign to them of what was actually happening. It's incredible to think about just, just the fact that God came in this kind of a scenario. I mean, it's, it's pretty unbelievable for us to imagine that the God of all creation, the God of the universe, decided to humble himself and, and to take the form, not just of a man, but of a baby. 
Oftentimes we miss that during this season, but we need to begin to understand that, that the, the idea of, of God coming and identifying with us in flesh, and not just as a grown man, not just as a king, but as a little baby, creates this unbelievable humiliation that God took upon himself. Think about it, a baby is helpless. A baby can't even use the restroom on his own. Uh, covered in his feces, you know, potentially. I mean, this is, this is how God chose to come to the world. And out of this humiliation, he, he, he brings this idea of identification with us. That, that he was born as us. And so that whatever we experience, he has experienced that as well. So often, what I find is, as a pastor, I, I sit with people that are going through tremendously difficult times. And, and part of the, the paradigm that we're living in is that though we press into healing and we, we begin to pray for healing and we begin to pray for the kingdom of God to come, there are times when it seems like it's far away. And so in those times as we sit with those who mourn and suffer, the, the comforting thing that we, we are able to hold on to is that somehow God has chosen to be able to identify with us in this hard time. He's able to, to, to take on our feelings and our understandings. I don't know if you've ever been comforted by someone who's never been through what you're going through. It's, it's hard. They don't know the things to say. It, it seems a bit far away. And until someone has actually gone through the hardships that we've gone through, we, we don't necessarily want to hear it. But when we see someone, we find someone where we're struggling and we're suffering who has gone through the same things and who has come out the other side, that's when we can actually see, wow, okay, here's some hope that I can cling to. And in this case, we have a God who has experienced life, the struggles and the hardships, the suffering and the pain. He didn't just come in a palace, he came and he was born in a cave to, to paupers and not princes. He understands poverty, he understands loss. He's experienced it for himself. This is the God that we serve. And, and the fact that he came and, and that he chose to come as one of us is one of the great mysteries of our time. He didn't have to do it this way. But his identification with us is the marking factor of his love for us. That he didn't just want to be the God that was far off, but he wanted to be the God that was close. This is an incredible thing. It's like Moses. Jesus was the better Moses, and Moses was raised in the palace. I mean, he grew up uh, beside the Pharaoh, and at that point on the planet, this was like the most wealthy family living, and so Moses grew up in the lap of luxury, but when he saw the troubles and, and the hardships of his people in slavery, he decided to go and identify with them in hopes that he could lead them out of that bondage, and he left the palace, and it's a picture. It's a glimpse of what Jesus has done for us is that he left a better palace because he's a better Moses. And in leaving his palace, he came on this night to be born in a cave, an alleged illegitimate child to a teen mom. This is incredible that our God would choose to stoop down and to do this 
And so we see in Philippians 2, 3, it says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ the Messiah Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Then at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The incarnation of Jesus is identification. We don't have a high priest who can't understand what we're going through. It's Hebrews 4, verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but it was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Exodus 4 talks about this time when, when the people of Israel realized when Moses was come to deliver the people, the people of Israel realized that God had not abandoned them, that God had remembered them, and the elders, it says in chapter four, bowed down to worship God because they were not forgotten. Christmas is our reminder that God has not forgotten us. And he will never leave or forsake us. That verse, leave or forsake us, those are two different words. And oftentimes, as, as followers of Jesus, we, we can feel like, yeah, we'll, we can understand that God will never leave us. Like, we get it, we're, we're in, we're in the Christian club, and at some point, when we get to heaven, we'll be with Jesus, and we're in, he'll never leave us. But it's two sides of the same coin. Not only will he not leave us, but he won't forsake us. Those are two different words, and the word forsake us means to essentially like, like mess with. Like he won't mess with us. He won't, he won't take what we're going through and turn it against us. He won't leave us in the cold. That means what you're going through, if you're suffering, if you're going through something that is hard, that's difficult, Oftentimes, what, what, we, what we believe, what we tell ourselves is that, well, this is just what I have to bear. This is just the cross that I, I have to carry. And I don't know where God is, he's somewhere, and I guess when I get to heaven, this will all be okay. And we will believe that he has forsaken us. That in this moment, in this time, he's somewhere else, he's not with us. And what the scriptures tell us and what this incarnation shows us is that at no time is he not with us. Because when he came as a baby, when he came incarnate, he identifies with us. And as the elders in Israel recognize, God has not forgotten us. And he hasn't forgotten you. 
I just feel like there's, there's people here that need to remember that God is remembering them now. Even in the midst of this one particular moment. There's doctor reports. There's dissension between our families. There's, there's trouble at work. There's, there's trouble with our kids. And, and the tendency is to think that we're in this alone. But I believe like now, like the Lord is saying that he is with you even there. He's with you no matter how far away you feel like you are from him. Like you may be drowning in your doubt. You may feel far from your faith, far from an anchor that you can hold on to. And so what we believe, the lie that we believe is that we're far away from God, but God is with you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He's with us in our doubt. He's with us in our pain. He's with us in our sickness. He's with us in our loss. Christmas is hard for a lot of people. This time is hard. And the tendency is to look at, at everyone that seems to be having fun and to think, where, where is God when I need him? And I believe the Lord sent me here today to say, he is with you. Closer than you can imagine. He's with you in your bad marriage. He's there. And the more that we begin to lean into this, the more we begin to recognize the presence with us within the circumstances that we find ourselves in. So the shepherds come, and the shepherds come to the cave, these priestly shepherds, and they find Jesus, the baby, swaddled, lying in a manger, and this is the sign, but we have to understand what is going on around this point with Jesus. There's something that happens when, when the father, uh, when the babies are born and the father cuts the umbilical cord in this society at this time, what was regularly done is that they would take salt and they would rub salt on the baby before the baby was then swaddled. And salt was, uh, it, it was a purifier. It cleansed, it killed the bacteria uh, and all of that. And so this was, you know, in a cave. This wasn't at Vanderbilt, and so they, they needed to have some sort of a system to, to help this go on. And so here come the shepherds, and they see this baby that's been salted and swaddled and lying in the manger. And the thing about salt is salt has a lot of deep meaning to these people at this time. They would say things like, there is salt between us. Salt represents friendship. It represents uh, a covenant that they would take for one another. In fact, it was, it was in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, that it says this, In every offering of grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. So here come the Levitical priestly shepherds into the manger, and they see this baby lying in this cave where the sacrificial lambs for Passover were born. And here is the baby that's salted and swaddled just like God commanded the sacrifices to be before being put on the altar. Every lamb that was sacrificed had to be salted. 
And so we understand what they're, what they're viewing and what they're seeing here is that now they're, they're beginning to understand that this is a covenantal thing that they're witnessing. There's salt. It, it's a new covenant. And 2 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 5 says, Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons by a covenant of salt? And here is the Davidic Messiah. Joseph was from the line of David, salted, laying in this manger. These shepherds were coming into a realization that this is a bigger moment than anything that they could have ever imagined. And what was Jesus? He was the new covenant that he poured out in his blood for us. He was the Passover lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. Before he was anointed later on, he had to be salted because he was the ultimate sacrifice that God sent for our sins. This is the picture that the priests came into. But it actually goes even further than that. Why would swaddling be this sign to the shepherds? This is our question. A swaddled baby was not an abnormal thing. And so we have to begin to dig into this and and wonder, what is it about this time that the shepherds found so amazing? If you go back into the idea of the temple, and we, we spoke about this a few weeks ago when we, we talked about this is all about a temple, the presence. And the temple was a place that represented the presence of God here on earth. It was, it was a representation of Eden, that time so long ago that was lost when the presence was here. And so when you would go into the temple, this is why they, that you couldn't have a spot or blemish. This is why someone that was sick or someone that was lame couldn't go in. This is why if you had sin, unconfessed sin, you couldn't go into the temple. It's not because God was feeling uh, essentially uh, prejudiced that day. It was because inside the temple was a picture of a place absent the fall, a place like Eden. And so because of that, you, you weren't to bring in anything that had a sign of the fall. So, so sickness wasn't allowed in there. Spot or blemish wasn't allowed in there. And in the temple, one of the oldest signs that signified the presence uh, was the menorah, was the candle that burned, that should never go out, the light that should never go out in the Holy of Holies that represented the light and the presence of God in this temple. And so if you think through the process of how this had to go, there was a special oil that they had to use, and then they had to use, uh, obviously, a wick to get the oil up so they could be burned. And the tradition had it, and what would typically happen is that they would use the priestly robes that were made especially for the duty of the priest. Once those began to wear out, they would actually cut those up and use the robes, the pieces of the robes, as the wicks of this giant candle menorah that was burning as the presents. And so what a lot of scholars believe is that the thing that triggered the shepherds, these Levitical priests, to understand what was going on is that the the, the clothes that, that Jesus was swaddled in was actually the pieces of priestly robes that were used primarily as wicks to light the menorah in the presence, to signify the presence. And Jesus is, as we know, the light of the world. And we are in him 
there is light and there is no darkness. And so the question has to be like, well, how did that even happen? How did these people get these priestly garments to wrap him in? Well, if we go back a little bit way, uh, the ways in the story to chapter one, we see that Mary had a cousin. And her cousin was married to Zechariah, a priest. And there's this moment that the scriptures tell us when, when Mary comes with Jesus in her womb and, and her uh, cousin has John the Baptist in, in her womb and there's something that happens that takes place and they're both overwhelmed and full of the Holy Spirit. They're full of every part of the Holy Spirit. That includes the spirit of revelation and of prophecy. And, and Elizabeth begins to prophesy about what is in the womb. We can see this in Luke chapter 1, verse 39. It says, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard of greeting Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke aloud with a loud voice saying, Blessed are you among women and blessed is this fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told to her about the Messiah from the Lord. Here are the priests, shepherd, coming in and seeing the robes, this baby salted in a cave born for lambs that were raised for the Passover sacrifice covered in priestly robes. It stands to reason that in this exchange full of the Holy Spirit, she runs to her husband and gets pieces of robe for her poor cousin with nothing to wrap the baby in. Why else would this be such a sign to these shepherds? Because they're coming into contact now with the great high priest. They're coming into contact with this revelation that, that has been talked about and whispered about for, for eons now, that all of a sudden there is now hope. God has not forgotten his people. He is with us. And this is the story of Christmas. That Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. The Messiah is the ultimate Passover lamb that was slain for us. And no one goes to the Father except through him because he is the ultimate, the end all be all. God incarnate come to dwell among us. It says in Isaiah, Chapter 7, verse 14, that therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And I believe what the Lord is saying today is that he is with us now. He's with us at this very moment and at any time that you go, you go with Jesus. That he chose to not only be with us, but to live in us. It's this unbelievable reality that we find ourselves in as followers of Jesus. This is the meaning behind 
what we're celebrating with all of these lights and presents and shopping and, and everything that's been going on. We're celebrating the fact that God came to be with us. Before there was a veil, before there was hard to get into the presence of God, before God was far away and we weren't allowed to go to him, and we had to have mediators and we had to have help, but no matter what, now on this side, he's with us. And I believe that there are times that we're going through right now specifically, I just keep hearing the Lord just say, press into this. There are, there are places in our lives that we believe we've been forsaken, that we believe we've been abandoned. There's been hope that's been deferred, that has made our hearts grow sick. There have been dreams that have been lost, that we feel are dead. And there are promises that we, that we, that we heard spoken to us long ago that, that have yet to come to fulfillment. And so we believe that God is forsaking us in those places. But I believe what the Lord is wanting to say today is that even in those places, he's there. Even in, in, the, in the trouble that you find yourself in, he's there. And if he's there, that means that there is redemption at hand. Because where Jesus is, life can't help but spring forth. Where Jesus is, sin can't help but be clean. Where he is, healing can't help but come. Where he is, life can't help but spring forth and poverty turns into abundance because this is where Jesus is. And in Jesus, all of these things come forth. And so as we close, I, I think if you could stand with me, we're going we're gonna to worship, and, and I believe what the Lord is wanting us to do is just to invite Jesus into those places that we feel like he's abandoned us at. He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. And if it seems like it, And the Lord is saying that he is here. That he is here. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We invite you to come. Reveal to us the places that we feel like you've abandoned us in. The Lord is looking to father some of us today. There are those of us who have an absence of fathers in our lives and we feel like we, we lack the experience of being fathered. And I just hear the Lord saying that he's here today to begin to father you. He is our Abba Father. We are to cry out to him, Abba Father. Do you know God as a father? So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you reveal to us those places? And that's the question. If you're here, it's not by accident. God orders our steps. And he knew you were here today. And I believe it's because he wants you to understand him as Emmanuel, as he is with you. So just begin to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those places where you feel abandoned by him and allow him to come into those places as we worship. For all upcoming events and more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.